Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to open the Bible and hear... Uh, God speak to us. So if you would open your Bibles, if you have them with us, and turn to Luke 24. If not, that's fine. We've got it on the screen for us. So let's read Luke 24 in the first 12 verses together. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while you were still with while he was still with you in Galilee the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified and on the third day be risen again then they remembered his words when they came back from the tomb they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others it was Mary Magdalene Joanna Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the, uh, to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen laying bes- by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, everyone. My name's Ben, if we've never met before. And if you're a kid and you've got a worksheet in front of you, I've got some words for you to count this morning. So the first word that you can count is the word road, and the second word is raised. Road and raised. And if you're an adult, feel free to count that as well. But there's no, I don't know, there's nothing for you there if you do that. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be here again today. Um, Father, we pray that we would um, be able to hear what you're saying to us in your word. And we pray, Lord, that this morning we would be able to have confidence that the tomb was empty and to be encouraged by what this means. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1948, this appeared on the beach in Florida. It was a penguin footprint six times the size of a normal penguin footprint. Now, this impacted the city and and the people quite a bit that they decided to get someone to go and check out if this was really real. If there was a giant penguin that existed and lived in the beaches of Florida, and so a zoologist came out from New York, and he interviewed uh, the people there, he investigated the footprint, he even dug up one of the footprints and took it back to his lab in New York, And after investigating it for a few months, he decided that there was no way that this footprint on the beach in Florida was a hoax. 
It couldn't be made by a man or a machine. And he even said that he saw the giant penguin himself when he looked out to sea one day. Now, these penguin footprints appeared uh, in the beach over the 1950s and then made their last appearance in 1958, never to be seen again, and went down in history as the Florida Three Toes, a giant penguin to exist. That is until 1988, when the St. Petersburg Times released an article saying that the, the Florida Three Toes was a hoax. Now, how did they know it was a hoax? This guy came forward. His name's Tony Signorini, and here he is with the giant penguin footprints, uh, footprints, I guess they are, the molds on his feet. And he said it was him and a mate 40 years earlier that just pranked Florida. And uh, what they did was they would get in their boat, so the footprints, they'd come out of the water, walk alongside the beach, and go back into the water. So what they'd do is they'd get in their boat at night, and then they'd drive along, they'd jump out of their boat with these shoes on, walk along the side of the water, go back in, get in their boat, and leave. And in doing so, they convinced Florida and this zoologist that a giant penguin existed. Now, pretty funny and good article to read. I enjoyed reading it. However, there is something that happens for me when I read things and see things at this time of year where I hear about hoaxes and how people should have known better. I'm kind of stopped in my tracks because the resurrection of Jesus is a way bigger deal than a giant penguin existing. The fact that someone could come back from the dead, that is a bigger claim way crazier claim and has way bigger implications than whether or not a giant penguin actually existed. So what we want to do this morning is stop for a little bit and ask this question. On Easter Sunday, the day we claim that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead, how do we know that it's true? How do we know that this is not just an elaborate hoax, that Jesus was pranking people 2,000 years ago? How do we know that this is actually true and what are the implications if it is? Well, today we're going to go on this journey together. And we're going to go on the journey the same time, actually, that the disciples went on this journey to see whether or not the resurrection actually happened. And we see the story pick up where we had read out for us before in Luke 24. It starts like this in Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So how do we know that this is true? How do we know this is not some elaborate hoax? Well, we're going to go on this journey with these disciples, and the first thing that we see that they go through is the road to the tomb. That's the first thing that happens here. They go on the road to the tomb because Jesus died on the Friday. A few days earlier, he died on the Friday, and he did really die. You know, some people claim that Jesus didn't die, but in official Roman crucifixions, which is the one that Jesus was, they always died. There's not an account in history where in an official crucifixion they didn't die. Jesus died. They put a spear in it in him just to make sure that he died, and then he was buried. Now, we see where he was buried at the end of chapter 3 in Luke 23. It was a prominent Jewish leader's tomb. So it was a public tomb. It wasn't this private, you know, back alley tomb that no one knew where it was. The women couldn't have got it wrong. It was a public tomb. People knew where he was buried. He was dead. He was buried. And these women are on their way with spices in their hands. Now, that feels weird today. But the spices in the ancient world, the, the job that they played in the ancient world was when people were dead and buried in a tomb, eventually their body would begin to rot and smell. And so you wouldn't just wrap them in linen, you would put spices on them as well so that the memory of this dead body wasn't just a horrid stench, but was kind of the nice smelling memory. Now these women are on their way face to face with death to do this. 
Now, I feel like we can appreciate this for a moment, what these women are going through here, because it is a lovely thing that they're doing. It's a beautiful thing that these women are doing here, to go face to face with the death of their friend, the one that they followed. You know, it would have been hard for them to go to the tomb, to see the dead body of Jesus, and to know that that's what they're doing. And we all kind of know that if we've ever come face to face with death before, that it actually is quite a sad thing. It's an emotional thing to come face to face with death, which is what these women were doing. You know, I can't help but think as I read what these women went through, I can't help but think that about this time last year, my nan actually passed away and at her funeral was the first time that there was an open casket that I went and had a look. And it's hard to see that. It's hard to see death face to face. It's it's emotional, it's, it's sad, it's sorrow-filled, and, and that's what these women are doing. They're going to the tomb, they're going face-to-face with death. But you see, if they're expecting that, and if that's what's going on for them, if they're feeling sad and sorrow, and they're feeling all of this that's going on for them, the emotions of all that's taken place, if they're expecting to see death, then what we see is the complete opposite. Because expecting to see death, they see a stone rolled away. Expecting to smell death, They smell an empty tomb. And what they see, what the the sadness, the sorrow, all of a sudden it turns into wonder. What is going on here? Right again, I don't know if you can feel this, but the, the moment there for them, feeling the sorrow and sadness and it turning into, wait, what's going on here? What's going on with the, the stone? And it's not just like curiosity, but but I feel like there's weight to this. Like where's the body of Jesus? Who rolled the stone away? Did the Roman guard take the body of Jesus? Was it the Jews? Where is the body? And more than just where's the body, but what does this all mean? Now, if that's what they're wondering, sadness mixed with sorrow, heartbreak mixed with confusion, then we see the answer to their questions. They're not left hanging, but some angels rock up and help them understand what's going on. And we see that as we keep reading from verse 4. We see... Verse 4, it says this, While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the road, uh, to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be crucified, uh, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. What's going on with the empty tomb? Well, the road to the tomb becomes a road to something better. As the angels show them what's going on, what this all means. And they answer in their confusion and in their sorrow, they answer them and they say to these women, why are you searching for the living among the dead? Now, I love that question. And, you know, you'll probably see it all over social media today because it is one of the most um, quoted verses uh, this time of year. But it is a strange question. Isn't it? Like, why do you search for the living among the dead at a graveside? The answer to that is not because we, we thought he was alive. It's, I mean, they, they thought he was dead. It's kind of like the answer is we're not searching for the living among the dead. We're searching for the dead among the dead. That's why we've come to this grave. But they pretty quickly answer what they're talking about. They pretty quickly resolve the confusion and they go on and they resolve it by saying, remember Jesus said this would happen. Remember, he told you this would happen. Remember his words in Galilee. Remember when he said that the Son of Man must die and be raised back to life. Remember he said it was necessary for this all to happen. Now, it is interesting what's going on here. 
because you, you begin to notice that for these women to understand what's going on, the empty tomb is not enough. Right? Like I know that we often think if we could just see the tomb empty, that would be enough for us to grasp what's going on, but it's, it's not enough. They see the empty tomb for themselves, but it, it remains a mystery without the words of Jesus. They need the words of Jesus to explain what the empty tomb actually means. It's not just the empty tomb. They need the words of Jesus. And when they begin to reflect on this, they see the words of Jesus because throughout Jesus' life, he said over and over again why it was necessary for him to die and rise again. He said over and over again. And, and when we look back through Luke, you see this. You know, it was necessary for him to die and, and rise again because if he didn't, then his mission to seek and save the lost wouldn't have come off. People would have stayed lost forever. It was necessary that he would die and rise again because if he didn't, Satan would have been the accuser and we would have had no response. It was necessary for him to die and rise again because if he didn't, death wins. That's the end of the story. Death is the end of the story. If Jesus didn't die and rise again, sin reigns. There is condemnation for us. And at the end of the day, we'll face the just punishment for our sins before God and face death forever. If there's no death and resurrection of Jesus, all of that unfolds. But with it, there's victory. With the death and resurrection of Jesus, it means that death has no sting. It means that sin can no longer have its hold on us. It means Satan's time is up. The death and resurrection symbols and signifies victory for God's people. You see, the confidence isn't just in the empty tomb, it's in what it means. There's an encouragement here for what it means. And it means victory. It means there's something better on offer. So we see the road to the tomb and then the road to something better. But you see, I, I think as we're watching this unfold, I think there's still a question for us. How do we know it's true? How do we know it's true? How do we know that it wasn't grave robbers that stole the body? How do we know that these women aren't lying? How can we trust their account? Well, if we're feeling that, what we see as we keep reading is that the earliest disciples are feeling that. And the earliest disciples react kind of the same way that we're feeling in that moment, going, how do we know this is true? Notice we pick it up from verse 9, we see this. Because when they come back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. You notice this, the very earliest disciples on hearing that Jesus was raised back to life think it's nonsense. Now this is kind of funny because the word nonsense literally has the idea of delirious talk when someone's sick. That's the idea, delirious talk when someone's sick. And I don't know if you've experienced that, uh, or can think of moments of that. But in our house, over the last few months, we've had moments of, of nonsense, of delirious talk when someone's sick. So um, Poppy was born in December, our first baby, and in the lead-up to Poppy's birth, Elizabeth was really sick. And after Poppy's birth, Elizabeth was really sick. And, and Poppy was in hospital for 17 days. Now, in that time, when she was in hospital, Elizabeth and I were at home, and occasionally what would happen is Elizabeth would wake up in the night and ask me where Poppy was. Now, uh, I got used to it. And one night, she wakes up and goes, where is Poppy? And I say, honey, it's okay. She's in hospital. You know, we're all good. People are looking after her. It's okay. 
and she responded to me with an urgency and like I was the biggest fool in the world. And she said, I know she's in hospital, but where's her body? I said, her body's in hospital as well. Now that's delirious talk when someone's sick. That's nonsense. And that's how the disciples feel when the women come back and say Jesus has been raised back to life. They say that's nonsense. That's delirious talk like someone's sick. And and why do they say that? They say it because people don't raise, come back from the dead. People aren't raised to life. They say that because they saw Jesus die. They watched him on the cross die. They saw the spear go into his side. They saw him wrapped up. They saw him put into the tomb. And they know that dead people don't come back to life. So when they hear this from the women, they say it's nonsense. It's crazy talk. Well, 10 of them do. You notice this, 10 of them think that. 10 of the earliest disciples are skeptics, but one of them decides to go and check it out. Now, here's why this matters. Some nonsense in life kind of does matter if it's true. It has big implications. So some nonsense doesn't. So big penguin stuff doesn't change anything. Bigfoot stuff doesn't change anything. Loch Ness Monster stuff, that doesn't change anything. Sometimes things sound crazy, but if they're true, they change things. And the resurrection of Jesus falls in that category. You see, if it's not true, Christians should be pitied. This whole thing is a lie. But if it is true, if it is true, then it changes things because it means that Jesus was right in what he said. It means that he's both king and God. It means that there is life after death. It means that the only way to eternal life is through Jesus and trusting in him alone, if it's true. And so what this means, since it does change things if it's true, it means it's worth exploring even if on first listen it sounds like nonsense. And this is what Peter does. Peter, with the disciples, 10 of them think it's nonsense, but Peter says, I'm going to go explore this. And he does this, and we see this in verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Peter goes on the road to self-discovery, and he makes his way to the tomb, and he says, I'm going to check this nonsense out for myself. And you kind of put there in the tomb with Peter, aren't you? You see this. He bends over. You can kind of picture him bending over, looking through the linen. Seeing, is the body somewhere else? Did someone move the body? Is the linen really here? Kind of smelling the smells of that tomb and what's going on, feeling the texture on his hands. He's in the tomb. He's checking it out for himself. And as he does, he begins to discover that what's, what was once nonsense now becomes reality. And he sees for himself that the tomb was really empty. And like the women before him wondered, he now wonders for himself. What could this mean? Peter goes on the road to self-discovery. Now, as I'm reading this, and as we're reading this, I think there's kind of this feeling like, great for Peter, but what about for us? Because we can't, after church, just go down to the tomb. We can't just go and check it out. We can't just go and feel for ourselves the linen. So how do we know that this is true? How can we go on the same road that Peter went on? Well, while we can't go on the same track that he went on, we can explore the evidence we can begin to weigh up the evidence and see whether or not this thing sounds like it's true, to see whether or not this is historical. 
We can go on the, on the road to self-discovery ourselves, and I think as we do, we begin to see that actually the evidence stacks up. Now, in this passage alone, we see three reasons that we can trust that this is a real account. This is an eyewitness account. Three reasons that this is historical from this, uh, from this account. We got uh, three things. So, number one, it was the fact that the women were the first witnesses. Now, it is interesting, at the moment in our society, uh, if you've been following the news in the last few months, people have been getting grilled for not listening to women's testimonies. And if you notice that, particularly politicians have been absolutely slammed for not listening to women's accounts of what took place. Now, this is not too different to what happened in the ancient world. In fact, Josephus, who was an ancient historian, was an ancient Jewish historian and wrote around the same time as uh, the accounts in the Bible. And he wrote this, that when it comes to women and uh, trusting their testimony in a courtroom, he said that they wouldn't even take women as uh, witnesses in the courtroom. He said automatically women were viewed as suspicious. Now here's why this matters for us. Firstly, if the resurrection of Jesus was made up, there's no way they would use women. Because they weren't even viewed as, as, they were viewed automatically as suspicious. If this was made up, if this thing was false, they would have gone with men as the people who first saw the, the risen Jesus, who first saw the empty tomb. But they went with women, and, and as you see that, it has the ring of history to it. But more than that, if even today we can acknowledge and understand that morally and ethically, when women speak, we should listen to them. Why is it that we shouldn't listen to these women who first saw the, the empty tomb? You see, often we come to stuff like this and we go, well, how do we know it's true? But I think the burden of proof falls on us. Why shouldn't we believe what they say? There's more than just one there. There's a bunch of women there. Why shouldn't we believe their account of what took place at the empty tomb? That's the first reason, the first thing that we see here that has the ring of truth to it. The second is that the disciples were skeptics. Now, in the ancient world, it was a shame and honor culture, so you would never write yourself into a story where you were seen as the enemy. You would always write yourself into the story as the hero because it was such a shame and honor culture. Being shamed was the worst thing ever, and yet what we see here is that the, the disciples don't come off in a good way. In fact, as we read this, we kind of read that they sound a bit average. It's not just average, though, is it? It's, it's real. It's how we would have felt if we were there. And as we see this again, this has the ring of truth to it. They didn't write themselves into the story as the heroes. They just tell what happened. And the disciples on first hearing about Jesus being raised back to life were skeptics. So that's the second thing that we see in this passage that shows us that this is true, the second piece of evidence. But then the third thing that we see is, is Peter's account when he goes and the fact that there's linen there. You know, throughout history, people have claimed that grave robbers came in and stole the body of Jesus. Grave robbers were a thing in the ancient world, so they would come and they would steal bodies because of what was um, valuable attached to the dead body. However, when Jesus was buried, the only valuable thing for him was the linen that he was wrapped in. And yet Peter's account of what happened, he, when he went in to the tomb, the body wasn't there, but the linen was. If it was grave robbers, there's no way that they would have left the linen. They would have taken the linen with them because that was what was valuable. That was the valuable thing there. So the third piece of evidence you see in this passage alone is the, the fact that there's just linen there. Now, if you were to research more, you begin to see that there's more evidence on this. 
And there's a few more things just off the top of my head that help us see that it stacks up. The, the first one is, or the fourth one, is that the Roman guard were guarding the tomb. Right? It wasn't just as easy as going in and taking the body. The Roman guard were there making sure that no one would come and steal the body. Then it was the fact that the Jewish leaders, the enemies of Jesus, the ones that killed Jesus, admitted that the tomb was empty. Right? That's pretty significant that the enemies of Jesus admit that the tomb was empty. And then finally, I think one of the biggest things was the fact that the, the disciples who first appeared as skeptics then go on to die for their faith. And why do they die? It's because of their claim they saw Jesus. Now, you might die for what you think is, for what you're convinced is true, but you don't die for a lie. And yet these disciples would go on and they'd die for their faith. Now, over and over again, I mean, there's more evidence than this. You can begin to see that the evidence stacks up. And the invitation here is like Peter to go on the road to self-discovery, to see this for yourself. Because you might be here this morning and you might think that the resurrection of Jesus is nonsense. You might. You know, you might be here this morning just checking it out. You might be here because your parents dragged you here this morning. Or you might be here for some other reason. But when, when considering the resurrection of Jesus, you might think, you know what, this is nonsense. But the invitation here is an invitation to come on the road to self-discovery. To see it for yourself. To explore and weigh up the evidence. Knowing that if it is true, it changes things. And know this, as you go on this journey, on the road to self-discovery... God's not scared of your questions. God is not scared of your doubts. He's not scared of your unbelief. He's not scared of your skepticism. The very first disciples were skeptics. But this is an invitation to weigh up the truth, to see the evidence for yourself and explore this. But you see, in the middle of this, it's not just an invitation, is it, for, to see that the tomb was empty. It's an invitation to remember the words of Jesus. It's an invitation to remember why this matters. And why does it matter? Well, because without the death and resurrection of Jesus, sin wins. Death reigns. Satan rules. But with the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can know that there's victory. That sin, suffering, sickness, death, all of the bad stuff that exists, its time is limited. Because we know that after death, there is life. This today is an invitation not just to see that the tomb was empty, but to see why this matters. Now, it was a few years ago for us. Elizabeth and I were at a funeral of a friend of ours. Uh, their, a friend's dad died. And it was a, a kind of a tragic death and really heartbreaking. He was, he was quite young and he was a, a he was a believer in Jesus and he had such an impact on his family and his community. And we went to the funeral and, and it was packed. And you hear those stories after stories, mourning the loss of a husband, of a father, of a friend. But it was there at the funeral, kind of feeling the weight of death, that Elizabeth and I just kind of looked at each other and said, this is why the resurrection matters. You see, it's not just when we're facing good times, it's not just when we're facing hard times, it's when we're face to face with death, that we need confidence, not just in an empty tomb, but we need to know why this matters. Today symbols victory. Today shows us that we can have confidence that our story doesn't end in death. It doesn't end in suffering. It doesn't end in sorrow. But there is a hope for us. And so this is an invitation to see the empty tomb and an invitation to see that there is something better on offer for us. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day 2,000 years ago. Thank you that sorrow turned into joy and death turned into life. Thank you, God, that we can not just be confident of an empty tomb, but we can be encouraged by what this means. And God, we pray that this would be with us when we face good times, when we face hard times, and when we come face to face with death, that we would remember why this all matters and hold on to the hope that we have in the risen Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.